0: It's a great honor to have Dr. Patrick Thurder from Chatham House whose main interest in the climate policy and the international collaboration on the circular economy. Hi, Dr. Patrick Thurder, it's nice to see you again. Hello, John, good to see you again. So today we are going to talk about the climate policy focusing on the, uh, the new development around uh, major uh, carbon emission emitters uh, and particularly we want to talk about the Climate Club. Uh, it's uh, quite something new from the G7 summit in Germany. Addressing climate change is a typical global public goods challenge and requires uh, international collaborations, at least in the major uh, carbon emitters, uh, if not most of uh, countries' members in the uh, UN family. However, the ongoing geopolitical crisis such as uh, Russia-Ukraine war and the worsening U.S.-China competition or economic decoupling have made the international climate cooperation and international climate governance more challenging and complex. So do you agree that this is a very tricky or very difficult situation and this kind of situation may remain for the uh, foreseeable future?
1: Yes, yeah, that's this, uh, this is a good question, a very important question, um, and yeah, I guess it's de- definitely true that now the the worsening worsening geopolitical situation is is making climate cooperation more difficult. So it's, it would be easier to tackle climate change if all the countries would be friendly to each other, and or at least if there weren't any war like situation like in the Ukraine. Um, that's uh, complicating issues um, not only on the political level, but then also very much on the practical level of issues around, especially then also um, countries supporting each other on on mitigation technologies, on, on mitigation action. And I mean, you mentioned, yeah, so Russia's invasion of Ukraine has, has created issues around now uh, uh, energy security. So um, countries now worried about, energy security and that's not necessarily we're trying to fulfill those security needs um mm-hmm. not necessarily in line with climate um objectives um mm-hmm. so for example what we've seen in europe it's been also the taxonomy um that's been um changed also to include uh gas and and nuclear as renewable or as, as green energy so um that's been heavily debated in, in, in Europe Um other issues. I mean, just very recently after Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, there's also new tensions between US and China. And one thing that I've picked up from the news was also that um, uh, as a result, climate change dialogue or cooperation between US and China has also been impacted by this. Um, so these, these geopolitical, um, Tensions have ripple effects and impacting all types of other um, collaboration, including climate. But also, it's probably going to impact also cooperation on other. what would you say global goods? Maybe cooperation on health, cooperation on biodiversity. Um, So this is indeed a problem. Although at the same time, I mean, it comes back to the importance of uh, multilateral institutions for climate obviously, the UN FCC. So um, it's kind of important that we make sure that these institutions continue to be functional. So in a way, we need to try and isolate or insulate those processes from the geopolitical uh, tension. So you have these between countries about national interest and we need to and these are happening, um, but we need to raise the issue, or we need to make sure that the institutions working on those uh, issues on planetary level, as well as uh, kind of like the issues for future generations, that that this still continues to make progress.
0: If China is the key to address climate change uh, as the biggest uh, carbon emitter, if China cannot fulfill its responsibility, do you think a climate Club as initiated by proposed by uh, economist uh, William Nordhaus is something taken up by G7 countries?
1: I mean, I, I would say, first of all, the issue is that politics, global politics, um, everything currently is becoming a lot more ideological. Um, so entrenched uh, positions um, make it more difficult. Um, actually, people also. Look at climate change often through an ide- ideological lens. But actually, what we need is more, I, I would say, um, more pragmatism to really address this. So we need to, um, like, yeah, we need to step beyond those kind of um, issues, really. But, uh, and it's in a way, it's not, I think, something climate like acting on climate is not something, oh, I'm doing this for, because other countries are asking me to do this or other countries. It's 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 really something that is also a country's self-interest um, to have a stable climate. So that and it's also becoming increasingly clear that it's also um, a security issue. So worsening climate situation increases uh, insecurity, and, and this type of insecurity impacts it's not only that there's more weather um like uh hot weather events uh et cetera et cetera um but it also has all these other ripple effects uh can have on food security um disruption of uh, supply chains of um uh, vital goods et cetera um migration induced uh, climate no climate induced migration issues um all of that's part of the mix so um my point is, yeah, it's it's really it's really about um, uh, country's self interest to be proactive, um, not only in that context but also in the context of. Uh, so, what is what is the new uh, wave of innovation? What's the new wave? What's the new um, frontier for for global competitiveness in technologies around um, decentralized energy and uh, uh, mobility? um these these things and i think that's probably the the perspective that china has taken um so all these things are going to be uh, the future uh, future technologies so that's why the chinese government has invested and and developed policies to, to support the growth of these industries for um for, for a few decades so like initially when uh, when i came to uh, to china to do my research as as a student, it was just after the renewable energy law had passed in 2007, 2008. And so my my research question was, is this law going to um, drive acceleration of renewable energy in in China? And um, looking both at the application of the technologies, but also the development of um, kind of industries to produce these, and I think the findings I've only looked at in a shorter window of like five years after the policy, and that's already ten years ago. So uh-huh. um, if we look back again now, we definitely can say these policies have been really um, key to drive the development of China's renewable energy industry. And even while I was doing the research, there were the, the, the issues that emerged was kind of these um, the growth of Chinese PV manufacturing and beginning. To dominate also, or to um, to start in dominating imports or exports to the to the European Union and Germany in particular. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. back then, there's already these discussions about is China going to take over in terms of global PV manufacturing? But then, when it comes to the climate club that you mentioned, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. One and uh, one reason here is now also the question: Okay, we need to cooperate, or we need to focus more. Because of these, um, also for these technologies. It's not purely about, and it comes back also to the ideological geopolitics. So, all these, the the idea behind this club is not only to mitigate climate change, but also to stay ahead or um, to be able to compete um, or to reclaim uh, some some form of the uh, uh, leadership that China has in terms of the manufacturing of, of critical. Um, technologies that are going to be even more important over the next decades. So I think I think what that means. I mean, in terms of the terms of the club. Okay, you have the G seven countries who are doing this, and if we see um, so this divide um, growing stronger, um, the split, if you want to say between okay, maybe uh, liberal democratic countries and authoritarian countries um, led by kind of the u.s china conflict is, is on the top of that and um, if that's getting worse um it could be the option I, that'd, be, that'd be interesting to see maybe china will also create a climate club right so um, china can then lead other countries that are more aligned in terms of political system and ideology um, but it can also be above climate so if you if you had that um that could be an interesting positive dynamic um, <laughs> where you have competing ideological systems with um, separate clubs but they're then also working towards um, uh, some climate mitigation uh, type of objectives so that that could be that could be possible maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that's a very interesting uh, scenario i like two different climate clubs uh, competing see which one can deliver, uh, reducing uh, carbon emission more. So I think, uh, you know, according to my understanding, uh, the crack Club is based on the treating benefits because treating is a driving factor to uh, pursue the prosperity of society. Uh, it's also one of the major reasons China can become richer than before, become the second biggest economy because China uh, built up the very strong manufacturing foundations and to export so many different things. And US was China's biggest partner of trading. Now the EU is the biggest partner of trading. So in this case, when different uh, major economies are making efforts in either curtailing the inflation rates, like US, or supporting short-term economic growth by increasing financial liquidity or uh, building more fossil fuel facilities, like in China. So in this situation, how do you think the climate commitment, particularly the NDC, uh, by 2030, uh, could be uh, problematic?
1: Yeah, yeah no, um, absolutely. it's. Uh i mean generally the the 1.5 degree target although it's it's still alive but it's definitely uh, threatened including then i mean the ndcs they haven't been sufficiently ambitious anyway um but i i don't see that many countries are going to increase the ambition of the ndcs so um especially not now um i mean in glasgow there was this expectation that Countries come up with the revised NDC over the next, um, I mean, for for the next COP and and, and afterwards, I, I I can't see any country doing that at the moment, um, especially because this whole issue around um, um, economic crisis, cost of living crisis, uh, fuel fuel shortages and fuel crisis, so unfortunately, all this works against um, climate um targets it's also the the problem is that most politicians especially in europe and i have to have to deal with these short-term um security uh related problems and it's now the challenges for policy for decision makers to kind of tackle those short-term crises with the long-term perspective uh, of climate uh, mitigation and NDC targets in mind um so that's that's not very easy um, I don't necessarily have a good solution what this is, but overall, I guess we need to double down on these issues around energy efficiency uh for example, that has so many benefits right in terms of reducing energy like on the demand side it reduces costs um it creates also it creates employment if you do kind of building insulation um but also um in the i mean these i think the the demand side measures. Are uh, becoming more important now because the supply side, you cannot build up renewables yeah. um so quickly. um right. So it's, it's a lot easier to look at at the demand side, including also, um, energy use behavior. Uh, uh-huh. So these some of these measures, and people are doing these anyway, beginning to do these anyway, just because to uh, to keep household energy costs down when the winter comes. There'll be a lot of voluntary, or well, uh-huh semi-voluntary uh, demand side reduction but that's that's not really how you want to drive this um, because it's not necessarily in a coordinated way and produce a lot of again misgivings uh, yeah. especially because it's low-income groups who are now mm-hmm. mostly impacted so these questions around energy prices um those uh, uh issues around equity and, and social justice are becoming increasingly and uh, relevant um, and that's not only within countries but also i guess globally
0: yeah but you know there's no ideal policy context to address climate change i, I think we just narrow down to three players see what they are facing what the main challenges are in those three economies so us it's basically achieved the energy independence right in terms of the fossil fuel, U.S. doesn't need to import uh, fossil fuels uh, from abroad. And China, uh, to a large extent, maybe is the second example to achieve energy security. But it, it, it's kind of tricky because most of the fossil fuel, particularly the oil and the gas, China, although has a big, big domestic manufacturing industry in the field, but still uh, imports a lot from Middle East and other countries. And the worst case is EU. But I think in this interesting scenario, in, in this interesting situation, I can see some hope in EU to really speed up uh, the energy transition by reducing the gas and the oil import uh, from Russia uh, and also by stimulating its uh, low-carbon technologies. So uh, do you think EU, under this very difficult situation in this short period of time, trying to address or cope with the the geopolitical crisis, at the same time, may really achieve a speedy energy transition?
1: Yeah, I think um, there will be a shift. Um, and it's, it's I think the crisis is accelerating this so people's um, people's thinking is also changing um, perception towards electric vehicles um, etc So the, the question now is yeah to have the right policies to put, support this um, this shift. Um, so I think consumers they're not yeah I think the main concern is cost um so if there's policies, that that can make these um, uh, behavioural changes easier and facilitate that, then then we see a more rapid adoption of of the low carbon um, uh, technologies in mobility, but but also in in, in, in buildings and in, in the energy system, uh, etc. But um, I mean the 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 other question, I think that's that's coming up in Europe is okay as as we are trying to wean ourselves off from um russian oil and gas uh, etc and and accelerate um, clean energy transition um are we creating other dependencies because obviously renewable energies have also supply chains um they depend on a lot of new materials critical metals that need to be mined uh, around the world, um, then they are manufactured, as we talked about it before. A lot of the manufacturing is is, is in China. Um, so some of the discussions um, that have followed is, oh, are we are we now increasing our dependency on um, on China or other countries with like um, unstable governance? I mean, one one example that's often mentioned is cobalt in the, from the DRC um which is needed for a lot of batteries um if we want to ramp up electric vehicles so there's there's these other new relationships that um uh, for example the eu is now building um in the short term to secure maybe additional um uh, gas uh imports from middle east uh, etc then in the in the medium to long term right, other relationships with countries to be able to have these um build up these new supply chains and yeah so the, the question then uh, with china again often is but okay if for example if there's war between us and china that's then going to disrupt also all the um uh, the supply of um the renewable energy technologies uh, that we need so that's in a way a question that people discussing i think that's also why the climate club might might be looking at okay how 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 can we build more capacity in Europe to manufacture those um those things um that's also related uh to semiconductors, for example um then mm-hmm. semiconductors are also key for kind of renewable energy technologies um mm-hmm. because I think the issue is okay trying to rebuild uh, or trying to build up all this capacity obviously increases costs, so mm-hmm. it doesn't make the energy transition cheaper. So you might have this sense of security but because it's economically economically maybe not the best solution so how can we how can we both in china and europe because it's also in, europe, in, in china's interest um mm-hmm. to have continue to have these um relationships um on the supply chains um uh, how do we build confidence um and ensure like more stable geopolitical relations so that the, the costs of the energy transition uh, remain affordable. So if everybody goes for self-sufficiency in renewable energies, um, that's unlikely to happen. Um, so the self, self-sufficiency idea is, is, um, sounds nice, but um, I don't think can, can be achieved. Um, that's why we, again, need to emphasize the importance of cooperation between countries.
0: Mm, yeah. But if we talk about the renewable technologies uh, um, only, I think if we put that broader, like uh, low carbon technologies, I do think uh, there are some challenges in facing the three players. At least I think uh, the U.S. is trying its best to decouple with China in many ways. And the EU might be reluctant to do that But I don't think uh, EU will uh, continue its old way to work with China closely in trading and economic collaboration. Because I think uh, regarding uh, energy transition, climate collaboration, national security or geopolitical situation will play a bigger role. So I think uh, we are talking about the three big players. If the three economies to a large extent can sustain themselves and uh, do you think it's a good thing uh to address climate change i think it could be i think there's a difference between
1: self-sufficiency and sufficiency if, if every country aims for self-sufficiency based on the levels of for example energy consumption Emissions, material throughput in the economy, as as um, as we've seen in the past, I think that's that's not in line with climate goals. It and it comes it comes again to this issue around demand side uh, measures as well. And that's, I guess, where the U.S. I mean, the often maybe has the biggest issues because the American lifestyle is the most, if we look at individual carbon footprints compared to China and Europe. They have the highest per capita carbon footprint so that and that's where the sufficiency aspect comes in i think there can be self-sufficiency if there's also this um, notion of sufficiency uh, basically um, coming down to like changes in behavior so very simple um, issues around it goes beyond carbon technologies but also mobility behavior uh, diets so Obviously, we know to achieve climate uh, mitigation, we also need to shift not only the way we um, produce in Christianity, but it's also related to what we eat. So we need to shift to sustainable diets. Um, and that's I mean, that's happening that you have these trends um, towards veganism or plant based um, type of uh, kind of substitute, meat substitute. But uh, I think this kind of shift for the US will be harder than for Europe and, and China, um, because in the past both China and Europe have have been facing these issues around scarcity. So there's this kind of mindset that something there's this kind of level of uh, how how much how much is enough. Yeah, so that's that's something that will be important, and that's then also where where the topic that I'm working on comes in, also with the circular economy uh basically we need to become a lot more resource efficient generally um and that's that's again also where everything connects to everything else um around um waste generation um recapturing so because you can see also the circular economy supporting this type of self-sufficiency in mm-hmm. terms of um recovering critical materials that are used in, in new key technologies um mm-hmm. So there's also these two concerns around that. One is, uh, okay, we need to become more self-sufficient and have resilience in terms of the supply. But again, also this uh, kind of then contradiction in terms of how how much can we actually achieve through circular systems in terms of self-sufficiency without Mm -hmm. addressing... um, the overall levels of materials that go into into production and consumption. Yeah, I think if we reconsider those aspects as well, um, that could be some uh, some positive dynamics coming coming out of the geopolitical um, crisis at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, Patrick. It's really a pleasure to discuss with you on those um, issues. And I, I think under the new geopolitical context around the world. Uh, we are definitely uh, need to look closer to the uh, national actions. Um, now we talk a lot about China's EU and the US. Uh, I think uh, in next COP in Egypt uh, this year, uh, we will have more information from members of the UN to report their NDCs, to see whether there are more big emitters Raising up their targets, or they keep it as before, uh, as same as as the previous uh, year. So, uh, thank you again.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, John. It was great to talk to you, and hopefully, can talk, speak again in the future.